Thank you. I was sitting by someone from Oklahoma. Whoa, all right. <laughs> but she works for Todd Brown, so I don't know. You know. Now, I, 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 uh, my redeeming factor to you is that I'm married to a Nebraskan, all right? I'm married to a Nebraska girl, so I'm smart that way. <clears throat> but, uh, uh, yeah, uh, but, but here's the deal. We were up, whenever I'm not rooting for the Sooners, I'm also, I, I root for the Huskers big time. My kids are all Husker fans. They grew up in North Platte. And they're Husker fans, no, not Sooners. But so we root for Nebraska all the time. I was pastoring in Wisconsin the last 12 years, meaning that we're up there with our Nebraska red stuff on during the first time Nebraska entered the Big Ten and played Wisconsin, their first game. So we're all talking about who the real Big Red is, you know, up there. I'm the pastor of the church and talking about what's going to happen. Boy, did I eat crow. I tell you what, that was no fun, no fun. We still remain uh, Husker fans, you know, but uh, anyway, that's a little bit of the background there. <clears throat> I'm delighted to be here. Um, Midwest District of the Free Church, there's about 104 evangelical free churches in Kansas, Nebraska, and the Kansas City, Missouri metro area. Uh, I have a chance to serve those churches, and uh, I'm delighted to have a chance to be here today uh, to, to address you as part of that service to the free churches in our district. Last year, uh, in Omaha, Nebraska, I joined the family of the insane at 60 years old, I ran my very first marathon, okay? <laughs> so you say, why did you do that? Uh, I got two good reasons uh, other than being insane. Uh, uh, one was uh, having an athletic background. I've always been involved in athletics and, okay, PE major, physical education major at Colorado State. Oh, yeah, I did play football there, smallest guy on the team, uh, return punts and kickoffs, so I had to kind of avoid the big guys, but uh, still alive, glad to say that. <clears throat> but I'd always had on my back burner uh, of my life, like, okay, I'll run a marathon someday. Now, as some of you know, I was a sprinter in high school, and in, I mean, you wouldn't know that, but I mean, as some of you know what I'm going to say here, I was a sprinter in high school, and uh, you know, a wide out and kind of quick at, at, at uh, Colorado State. So we don't do distance. Distance is for slow people, you know, unless you're from Kenya. And then you run, well, anyway. But distance is for slow people. And so I wasn't wanting to run a marathon. Why do that? I'm still doing my sprints, you know, my 20s and things like that. And, and so I thought, well, maybe when I turn, get old, like when I get to be 30, <clears throat> uh, maybe I'll run my first marathon then. And 30 whipped up on me, and I said, I ah, forget it, I don't want to, I'll wait another decade. When I turn 40, I'll run one. And uh, so I kept thinking that, and it got 40, I said, nah, nah, wait another, wait till I'm 50, then I'm really old. And so I'll run one and I get 50, and uh, didn't happen then, then, never happened. Finally, I turned 60, and I, I probably still would not have done it at 60, except uh, my second reason was my oldest son, Jess, had gotten into running, and he kind of challenged me, hey, Dad, why don't you run a marathon with me? We're going to not to stay beside him, but to run in the same race. Why don't you run a marathon with me? And so uh, I, 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 what I did, I was pastoring a church in, near Milwaukee. I, I got up on stage there. I, I got out my, my running shoes, and I got in front of everybody, 
and I said to the congregation, okay, I'm making a commitment. When I turn 60, I'm going to run a marathon. You know, so I put it like that, and, you know, of course, there they thought that was kind of cool, and a couple of people clapped. But anyway, uh, and so that, all right, you're going to do it. But, oh, man, you're in front of 800 people, I'm saying I'm going to do it. So I obviously made a public commitment to, to doing this. So what happened after that? My son uh, made a chart for me um, to work out by. Now, you, anyone in here who's run a marathon or trained for it, you know what all is involved. I mean, it's a lot of, lot of effort, a lot of running, a lot of different kinds of running. You run your, you know, your easy, you know, well, you got to warm up first, stretch, do all that type of thing. It takes me longer every year, you know, and stretch out and get everything loose and then then, you know, you run your easy miles, you run your shorter stride outs, you run your long miles, you know, your 14ers, your 18ers, you do those things, and, and you, you, you run your interval training, you do your fartlek training. It's not a nasty word. Okay. It is a real athletic term. So anyway, you do that type of training, you get all this down, you know, and, and, and you, then if you're my age, you also do a lot of ibuprofen training, you know. <laughs> Those muscles are hurting. So anyway, you do all that. But the, the, what, what is there is you have to truly carve out a lot of time. You put out a lot of effort most every day of the week to run. So last September, when I, I turned 60 last summer, last September in Omaha, my son and I are there. We're going to run the race. Here we go. We take off. And I took off what was a pretty good time for me, to, uh, at what I was going for anyway. Took off at this uh, pretty good pace for, for myself. And I, I was doing pretty well. You know, partway through, halfway through, some people were only running the half marathon, just 13.1 miles. Psst, nothing, you know. They're, they're running a half marathon, and so I, I was still feeling, you know, kind of jovial at that point. I'm coming by that, and off to here is where the, the half, mar half marathoners were going to go off this way to the finish. They had a guy standing right here. He's saying, full marathon, this way, full marathon, this way. So as I'm running up, he says, full marathon, this way. And I look at him. I said, are you saying F-O-O-L, this way? <laughs> oh, yeah. I felt that way. I went that way. Okay. So, by the way, there's a verse in the 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, that relates to all of this. Here's what it says. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Huh. You may win the prize. You win the win what that prize is. Now, the knowledge of athletics was something very common to the Corinthians. The book of 1 Corinthians was written to the Corinthian church. That's the people of God, followers of Jesus Christ, who were in this city of Corinth in Greece. Uh, and it was very common to them of athletics because every other spring in Corinth, they had the Isthmian Games. They were second only to the Olympic Games. And so the people knew very well about athletic contest, and they did basically the same things at the Isthmian Games that would take place in the Olympic Games. You know, they, they did their running, they had, they had the boxing, the uh, wrestling, you know, punt, pass, and kick. They, oh, not quite, but the point being is that those people at Corinth knew as much about athletic and what's going on in those terms as Nebraskans do about Cornhusker football. 
very common to them, very well-known terms of things that he could talk about and that they would understand. Of course, the people at Corinth know that in a race, only one receives the prize. And so Paul says, run in such a way that you may win. Uh, Take a look at this runner. Some of you have seen him before, fastest guy in the world. Okay, I hear some of you. You're saying to me, hey, Dr. Palmer, Mr. Uh, District Superintendent, I'm not going to put on any running pants like that. I'm not going to get those running shoes, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to run in any race. That's, that's way behind me. I'm not going to do that anymore. Or you're saying, I'm never going to do that. That's not who I am. What are you talking about, Mr. Palmer? That's a real good question. What am I talking about? But a better question is, what is the Apostle Paul talking about when he tells us that we are to run in a manner that will help us win that race? What's he talking about? Well, let's let's find out. By going back to verse 19 of chapter 9, we can go back to there, and then to give us enough of the context to answer the question, what's Paul talking about? As the Apostle Paul challenges the church at Corinth, to take their athletic understanding and apply it to their Christian life. Cornhuskers, apply it to your Christian life. (laughs) Or to your real life, I probably should say. Verse 19, Paul says, For though I am... We'll we'll just run through these verses quickly. Got that? Run through them. All right. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. Win as many people to faith in Jesus Christ as possible. He says he makes himself a slave to all, a servant to all. He puts other people's preferences above his own so that he might win more people to faith in Jesus Christ. He would do whatever it would take to connect them to Jesus. Verse 20, rejoin. Look, look what he said. To the Jews I became as a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. They follow the Mosaic law. Hey, hey, I'll connect with that. I can relate. I'll talk about the Ten Commandments. I'll do this. I'll talk about covenants. Sure, I'll relate to you. 
Or he goes on, verse 21, to those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ. If they don't have any laws they're following, hey, you talk to them about the laws they're not following. You talk to them about that phase and type of life that they're having, although he's still under the law of Christ. That is, he's not going to do things wrong as he does that. But he says he does these things in order that he might win those who are without the law. Paul would adjust himself, would accommodate himself to those to whom he was seeking to win the faith in Jesus Christ. You're, you're going down the street and the bicycle guy's there. He's riding his bicycle and he's got a flat tire. You stop and you talk to him about his bicycle. You know, you connect, have a connection. If he's a biker, you talk to him about his Harley. You know, whatever it is, you, you connect where they are. If uh, they're an artist, my son Jess is not only a runner, he is, he's a weird bird. He's also an artist. You know, he's, he, what, what did he, in college, he goes to college and he majors in studio art. And so what is he today? He's a starving artist. That's all he is. You know, he, I said, what did you major? Why don't you get a minor in something? No, nah, I'm be an artist. And you know what he draws? Abstract expressionism. Okay? That's what people like my age, we look at and we say, what is that? And my son says, Dad, you're not supposed to ask what is that. I say, yeah, Jess, but what is it? You know? No, I didn't do that. I, I know better. But nonetheless, okay, you, you talk to the artist about, hey, why would you choose those colors? How long did it take you to paint that? And you connect with them where you can connect with them. You build some sort of connection and relationship. If you're with them just a short time, you, you, you do it quickly. If they're your neighbor, you build that. You talk about his boat. You talk about, you know, why does he throw his trash in your yard? No, you don't do that. You pick up his trash and you're nice to him anyway. Uh, you, you, you make those types of connections. That's what Paul's saying here, that you, you do this. Now, it doesn't mean that you take on the sins of others to connect to them. Don't misunderstand. Paul did not become an idol worshiper in order to connect with those who worship idols. That, that's not what he did at all. But what he did do was connect him however he could. For instance, if your child is in band uh, or plays in the orchestra, great connection with the parent, other parents whose children are in the same orchestra. There's, they're a flute player. You can get with the flute players or cornet or drums. You know, and, and you can make a connection there. And talk to them and build a relationship. Are your kids in soccer? How many of you had kids in soccer? Let's see your hands. You got kids in soccer. Yeah, the rest of you don't. How many will never stick their hand up even if I say stick your hand up? No, no, no. no. You know, there's a whole group there. I know there's a lot more of you who have soccer kids. You just don't want to hold your hand up. You're afraid I'm going to ask you to do something, aren't you? <laughs> no. Uh, but what I will ask you to do is that look at all the connections you have with soccer. Instead of complaining about all the games you've got to go to, look at every game as an opportunity to connect with another parent. And you're sitting by one that you know they obviously need Jesus. <laughs> by their words, by what they say, by how they act. They, they really need Jesus. Don't move away from them. God put you there. There's a great opportunity. Now, hopefully that's not an elder at this church. but many, No, but no, it's, someone, it's a great opportunity. For you to connect with them. Too many believers think that we are always doing okay by God. If we're, as long as we're in a Bible study, as long as we're learning more things. 
Teach me something else I don't know, Pastor. Show me this. I, I need something new here. Uh, what else can you tell me about that Greek word? And, and we, we do this. And that's part of the problem within the evangelical free churches in this district that I'm trying to serve here. Part of the problem is we don't get outside of our Christian bubble. We are so comfortable within our Christianese and how we are and what we do and what we sing and don't sing and all of this. And we fail to step outside into the world and connect with them and win them to faith in Jesus Christ. You know, uh, I think that's one of our main issues. When you think of someone different than you, who do you think about? Well, different race, maybe. Uh, Different background than, than you have. Different economy than what you're used to. Different social situation. Uh, different religion, perhaps, uh, or someone that's exactly like you, but the main difference they have is that they're not a believer. They're different from you because they're not a believer, even though they do the same job or are at the same school or have the same major. When you think of someone different, who comes to mind? It's it's those kind of people that God wants you and me to reach. Last week, uh, Steve talked about uh, John chapter 4, Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman, How different could you be than those two? The vast difference. By the way, did you notice that all 12 disciples went into town and nobody hears about Jesus? One woman after about 15 minutes with Jesus goes to town and everybody hears about Jesus? What's wrong with that picture? It's the same thing that's wrong with many of our free churches. Same thing that might be a bit wrong with this church. We get so comfortable, and we think we're, God's good with us as long as we got more Bible down. I memorized a new verse last week, God, you must be proud of me. He is proud, but he says, won't you use it? Put it to use. What would it mean in relationship to your neighbor? You know, I think God is a bit frustrated with some of us. I think he's probably lamenting right now, saying, you know enough. Would you please do something that gives a favorable impression of me to someone who doesn't already know me? I think God is saying that statement to a lot of us. I, you know enough. You say, well, I've got to learn a few more things. You know, July 21st, Steve promised he's going to tell you what to say. I'm not telling you what to say today. But I will say this. You already know enough to say. That Samaritan woman spent what? 15 minutes probably at the most, maybe 30. You know, we don't have all the words that were said there, most likely. And so, yeah, maybe 30 minutes. She knew enough. How long have you been following Jesus? You know enough to say something that's going to help them in their journey towards Jesus. Somewhere in that Matthew 28 passage where we know it says, our great commission to make disciples. Somewhere in that path, we get, we get so focused on the disciple making in the sense of, of training, they're, they're training them and teaching them and building them up and equipping them and sending them out. We, we're all that type of thinking ourselves, but we fail to remember that somewhere in that discipleship process, this non-believer has to become a believer. That's part of making disciples. And you, you, Paul says, He would become all things to all people. Look at verse 22. To the weak I became weak, that I may win the weak. 
I become all things to all men so that I might by all means save some. Look at this. He become all things to all men that he might be involved in the saving of these people, that they could come to faith in Jesus Christ. He would even go so far. Maybe some of you should become a Sooner fan in order to win Sooners. I know some of you that would be a sin, so no, you can't, can't do that. can't do that. But this is what he would do. He used whatever means he had so that he might have that wonderful privilege of helping someone come to faith in Jesus. You see this? Paul had a save some theology, that by all means I may save some. He had a save some theology. You cannot save all the people in Omaha. You won't do it. But you can save some. You will not save all the people in your neighborhood, but you can save some. You will not save all the people at your school, but you can save some. You won't save all of your non-Christian friends or acquaintances. It just won't happen, but you can save some. Paul says he becomes all things to all men so that by all means he may have that wonderful, delightful privilege of being involved in their salvation, of their coming to faith. In Jesus Christ. Now, if you like, now, if you're like me, and I sure am. Come on, wake up, wake up. There you go. If you're like me, you tend to sometimes forget or even ignore that part of our Christian life that has to do with helping others come to faith in Christ. We forget it. We get busy with our Bible study and are discipling this other person and teaching him some more verses. And how to follow, how to be a strong believer. We leave out. Forget it, leave it out, or ignore it. That part of helping others come to faith. Recently, recently, God has been reminding me of this role that I have. I mean, it's like he's been hitting me in the head with a two before. Saying, wake up. Look, most of you have been in Scripture long enough that you can probably answer this question I have. Or this statement, please finish these words of Jesus. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you. Okay. Those of you who could answer that question, how's your fishing going? Are you even throwing out a line and trying to bring someone in? How's your fishing going? God has reminded me of that so much. Noah, you tell people you're a follower of mine. You say, who are you? I'm a follower of Jesus. You've you got that right. <laughs> that's, that's who I am. I'm going to be a good one too. I'm going to be a strong follower of Jesus. And Jesus whispers in my ear, hey, are you fishing for men? I said that if you are a follower of mine, you will become a fisher. I will make you a fisher of men. Well, that's, that's too convicting. Let's move on to the next, next verse, all right? <laughs> verse 23. I do all things, Paul says, for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Or the NIV says that I may share in its blessings. The blessings, the tremendous blessings to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Early in the 1990s, I had a chance to go to Tatarstan, Russia. Uh, it's not one of those lower states. It's a, actually it's a province of Russia. Uh, if Moscow was here, you go about another 500 miles. You've got Kazan, Tatarstan, and then it goes about another couple hundred to the other end of the, uh, the province. I had a chance to be in that province of, 
of Tatarstan. It was a great time. It was a time when the walls, you know, the wall, the Cold War just ended, and people were eager to find out about United States and Christianity and all of this. And we had the privilege of being there and talking to people about Jesus through a translator. And of course, I had my translator with me, and I was talking to this one person. I will never forget this. Talking to this person, and she had never heard the name of Jesus. Why are you there? I'm, I'm here to talk about Jesus and tell, who, who's Jesus? I, I'm sitting there, and I'm going, wow. And I saw the great privilege this was. Here, here I had the chance to be the first person that she ever hears describe about Jesus to her. I had that privilege to tell her who Jesus was. And boy, did I start praying. You know, I, not out loud. <clears throat> Didn't want to look too weird. But, you know, you know, quick prayers up to God. Lord, what do I say? Where do I, where do I begin? I've got like 15 minutes maybe at the most with this gal. How much do I tell her? Do I, do I ask her to place her faith in Jesus today? All those questions that would come out. But, but then I moved back to, wow, what a privilege to be the first person to tell her about Jesus. I'll, I'll never get over that. But you know what? You have a similar opportunity. Most people you talk to will have heard the name of Jesus, but they know very little of the biblical Jesus. They know very little of the Jesus of the Bible and who He really is and for what He truly stands and how He, how he wants us to be and how He enables us and strengthens us and we can work according to His mighty work that works within us and strengthens us. They don't know that Jesus. You have that privilege to explain to them who this Jesus really is and to demonstrate to them how Jesus works in our lives. What a wonderful privilege. Recently, I was in a taxi in the uh, Chicago area. I was going back from, uh, the Evangelical Free Church has a seminary in North Chicago, Deerfield, uh, town, town of Deerfield, called Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. I'd been there, uh, and then was heading back to, uh, to, to the airport, to O'Hare Airport. Got in a taxi, and, you know, said a couple of hellos, and realized, oh, I recognize that accent. So I said to the person driving, Minya sevut Noah, kakva sevut. And uh, that means in Russian, my name is Noah, what's your name? And it, of course he was Russian, and so he was delighted I could say anything. And he started saying some more Russian. He said, oh, you know Russian? And I responded, uh, uh, I speak Russian very badly. <laughs> and then I really said, I, no, I really don't. I just know a few, I just know a few phrases. Uh, I, I can't really speak Russian. So he spoke to me in, in, in English, thankfully. He said his name was Richard, and we talked a bit. And he had first come to the United States in 1975. I mean, way back. And so we're talking about the changes that had taken place in Russia and in the United States since 1975. That led right into the wonderful opportunity for me to talk about the changes that Jesus can do in our lives. So I moved right in by God's strength and help and talked to him about who Jesus is what he does, why we need him, all the, just boom, all that Steve's going to tell you July 21st. All those things, just real quickly with him. 30 minutes we had. I'm getting out of, out of the car, out of the taxi, you know, and I, I paid him what I owed him, left him a good tip, okay, a little, you know. That's helped. So, uh, and and he, he said to me, he said, Noah, I, I, 
I'm, I'm too old to change. My last words to Richard were, Richard, Jesus can always change you. You're never too old. I will be praying for you. Lord, I pray for Richard right now. Perhaps bring another Nebraskan Christian into his life that he might know you. And I've been praying for Richard ever since. The Spirit of God leads us to the joy of sharing the good news of Jesus with the lost that we might by all means save some. That's what He does for us. That's what we are about. Okay, with all of this background, you and I now know what this running metaphor means in verse 24 when it says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Why are we running like the one who wins that race? Because it's people we win. All sorts of people. Different people. Different ages, different races, different ethnic backgrounds, all sorts of people. We're running the race that we might win them for Christ. People who are lost without the hope of Jesus, without the confidence of heaven. Those people, those people that are like that for whom you care. Is there anyone out there like that without Christ that you truly care about? Your coworker at work, your boss perhaps? Your employee, your colleague at school, your buddy across town. Is there somebody that you really care about? Brookside Church. Run, run in such a way that you may save some of them. You're not going to save them all, but put out the effort the discipline, the training that is involved. I mean, that's what Paul goes on and tells us to do. He continues with this Isthmian Games picture for us in verse 25, and he states this, Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, you know, that little fig thing around their head. But we, an imperishable crown. Imperishable. The word for, for compete there is a pretty interesting word for compete. It's actually from the, the root word of agon, where we get the English word agony. <laughs> Just the word competing. Competing against, it's agony. You're going to compete, it's agony. Uh, any of you who've trained for a marathon, it's agony. <laughs> you, know, you compete for it. If, if you're in the games, whatever the game part, whatever you're doing, the running, the wrestling, the boxing, if you compete, if you're in the game, it's agony. About 10 days ago, I was in Kansas City, and I, you know, I, I started the running stuff. I haven't stopped running. I'm not going to do any more marathons, probably. It takes too much training, too much time. But I still want to stay in shape. So I, I was running, and I was, I'd, I'd taken off. I was at a motel, and I, I left, and, and that part of Kansas City was very hilly. And so I, I hate hills. They're terrible. They sap my energy. So, so anyway, I'm running the hills, and I, I go out about, about two and a half miles, and I realize i got to come back, you know. And, and so I go out and I say, okay, I, I'm going to turn around here. And I stopped and caught my breath. And I started running back. And the hills got bigger. I don't know. You know just like harder. And, and uh, you see, I'm kind of a guy that 
I don't quit. Uh, No, I'm not going to stop and walk this hill. I am going to. I might slow down, but I'm going to run this hill. And so I'm going up this one hill. Now, I have gotten smarter as I've gotten older. I have said, Noah, live to run another day. Don't kill yourself, dummy. You know, you can't, you know. Okay, so I, I don't go that far. But still, I'm running this, and I'm, I'm coming up on what I think is the last hill, and I said, okay, I'm going to do this one. I'm going to do this one right. I'm going to push on it. I'm going to get And I got to the top of the hill, and I realized it wasn't the last hill. There's another one. Oh, gosh. So anyway, I, I pushed up that. Didn't, didn't, I slowed down, made it up. But, but let me tell you, time at the top, agony. Legs are hurting. Lungs are hurting. Brain is gone. You know, shh, you know Agony. What are you doing this? Well, you know what has happened in this, in my training, in my athletic stuff? God is always saying to me, hey, Noah, look how much effort you put out there to run that hill. Is it possible that you could put out anything close to that in following me? He does that to me all the time. I say, yes, Lord, okay. You know. <laughs> yeah, he does that all the time to me. It's great. Great analogy. That's why Paul is using it. He knows the Corinthian people understand it. He knows that Nebraska Cornhuskers understand the analogy, the effort it takes for that team to get ready to win a game. They understand that. It's agony. And he says they do this and they they exercise self-control in all things, the verse says. Self-control in all things. That is, those who were competing in the Isthmian games, they didn't go out to uh, wheat fields for dessert every night. You know, they didn't go there. They didn't just eat fast food. They, they skipped uh, uh, some of the movies that they wanted to go to, and they went to the gym instead. They, they, say, they used their money to, to buy running shoes. These are expensive. They're really fast, if a fast person would wear them. You know. But anyway, you know, those, you know, they buy their running shoes. They buy their running clothes. They, they, they join a 24-7 gym, you know, a workout place, and they do all of that instead of spending that money on a, Caribbean cruise, certainly not carnival cruise, but uh, you know, they, they, they spend and put out the effort and the time and the energy in order to exercise self-control in all things that they might win that race or match. We are to put forth at times agony to save some. We're to exercise self-control in all things to win people to Christ. These people are our crown, our imperishable crown. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish. It is those people that you have the privilege of helping come to faith in Jesus Christ or like an imperishable crown that we wear because we did the effort, we ran the race in such a way that we helped them to come to Jesus. With transformed, saved followers of Jesus being the crown, Paul adds in verse 26. Therefore, therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. It's good to plan, you know. You want to accomplish something, it's good to plan to accomplish it. My son Jess, I mentioned, he sent me a chart, a workout chart, seven months of it to work at to get me ready for this marathon that I wanted to run. It took some planning and effort with that. 
figure out for yourself what changes need to take place in your life in order to follow Jesus in fishing for men and fishing for women. What changes need to take place for you in order that you can help people come to faith in Jesus Christ? What needs to be different about your days? What needs to be different about your thoughts? What needs to be different about your actions? Maybe you, let me say this respectfully, maybe you need to stop one of your Bible studies that you have and go out there and get to know some non-believers and tell them about Jesus. Maybe you know enough already. Oh, I love the, I love the closeness that we have there. We, we, Pastor, we pray for each other. You can still pray for each other. Just because you didn't meet them doesn't mean you don't have to pray. You don't have to stop. There's all sorts of things that may mean that. We don't have extra time usually. We have to reevaluate how we're using our time. Is this the best way for us? Don't misunderstand. Bible studies are wonderful. I, I love them. But fishing for men is the command of us. Sacrifice what is needed. Time, effort, money, whatever it is for you to make those changes. See, he says he, he boxes and not just, not just beating the air. I grew up in a little town that they had boxing on uh, tournaments in the summertime at the, at the armory. And anybody that wanted to box, you know, could box. And so they would, they would have uh, every now and then some young kids, they'd come out and they'd do the windmill. You know, they're coming out and they're going like this. <laughs> they'd, they'd get wiped out if they were against a boxer, you know. And this is what Paul is saying. Don't just swing. Don't just go out there swinging wild. Plan what you're doing. You know, and make that strike. You're, you're aiming, you know, I go up, everybody's taller than me, so you've got to hit the nose. You know, you, you know what you're aiming for, and you strike it. Know what you need to do in your life and hit it. Know where you need to go, what you need to say, what you need to study. Do those things. Have a plan. Don't just go wildly swinging. Pray, God help me to know what to do. Of course, all the changes that need and the effort determined will not be easy, so Paul says in verse 27. But I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Disqualified for the prize of winning people to faith in Jesus Christ. He doesn't want to do something that would disqualify him. Let me go ahead and say it. Please don't do something that will disqualify you in the sense that you're talking to someone and they say, why should I follow Jesus? Obviously, he hasn't done you any good. You messed up bigger than me. Your, your life is worse than mine. You do worse things than I do. Please live such a life. Stay on the right path. I, I know some of, some of us in here have stepped way off that path. Understand that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can be cleansed in Jesus. We can get back on the right track. It'll take a while to regain the trust of this friend, but we can get back on the right track. Yes, you can then talk to them, even though you may have messed up big time. But if you haven't messed up big time, please don't. Paul is saying, I, don't, I want to stay this type of life so I don't disqualify myself from the privilege and joy of talking to people about Jesus Christ and winning them to faith in Christ. Stay on that right path. You have to, it says, he said he disciplined his body and made it his slave. Look, you're going to have to do things in those changes. You, change. you know, part of the thing with me I, in my training, I, I love this stuff. What is that? What, what brand? Chocolate chip, blue bunny, blue bunny, chocolate, mint. Mint chocolate chip. Can't even say it. I don't care what it is. 
I eat it, you know. This is good stuff. All right, and so if you're training and you're trying, you got to discipline your whole body, you know. I kind of carry it around like this. This, this, is, this is great. This is what I love. It, it is empty. I got rid of it. It was full last night. No. <laughs> no, you know what I really had to do with, with this ice cream stuff and training for it? I had to stop eating the whole carton and just eat half, you know. You don't have to give it all up. Don't think you got to give it all up. Uh-uh. You can still have fun. That's all right. Joy of life. <laughs> but there is discipline that takes place and training that takes place as it is if we are seeking to win people to faith in Christ. How is your fishing going? How is your running the race to win others to faith in Christ going? If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then on the back burner of your mind is always the fact that we need to talk to people about Jesus. We need to be fishing for men. That's on your back burner. Maybe you need to do what I did. Maybe you need to come to a point of saying, okay, I put it off this decade, I put it off that decade. Okay, I, I am now going to commit myself. I'm going, to, I'm going to run the marathon. And I make that commitment publicly before a lot of people. And I said, I'm doing it. It's a change. I'm going to do it. And then do the training that it demands. Maybe some of you need to come to that point of commitment. To say, okay, Jesus, I hear you. I will become a fisher of men. And whatever that means for me, Lord, it's going to be different for all of you. There's similar things. There's different things for all of you. But you're saying, Lord, whatever that means for me, what the changes are there, Lord, help me. I'm weak. Help me, help me know what I need to do. I need some personal trainer here. I need a chart to follow. Whatever it is, ask for the help. He will provide it if you have the willingness. And by the way, once you make that commitment, you're not going to have to think, oh, now, who am I going to go witness to? No, you don't have to do that. No, you do not have to go. There's nothing wrong with it. But you do not have to go down to the mall in order to witness to somebody. God will place people in your lives, whether it's a bicyclist that I stopped to help the other day because he had a flat and had a great opportunity to, as I gave him a ride, it was a hot day and he, he was walking, carrying his bike. I had a chance to talk with him about Christ. When I picked him up, I wasn't thinking about talking to him about Christ. He was a guy that had a need and I stopped to help his need. And in the process, I found out that he was a, he was a practicing Buddhist and I was able to talk to him about the difference in Buddha and Jesus and why Jesus is a better option. So uh, it just happens. That will happen with you. You do not have to go searching for those people. Just have your eyes open and see the opportunity that places right in front of you. He will do that as you fish for men. You realize, hey, here's my opportunity. Lord, help me. I don't know what to say. Help me to say something worthwhile. God will give you those opportunities. But we must and we need to commit to run to win. Make that commitment that you will run to win. As followers of Jesus, Brookside Church, every time you see somebody running a race, let that remind you that this is a time for you to run to win. You see a race taking place, somebody jogging, let, let something like this say to you, to you, I am going to be a fisher of men. I'm going to put out effort like that guy winning. That's a lot of training. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of doing. But I'm going to do that to win people to faith in Christ. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Brookside Church, make a commitment. Put on your running shoes. 
And by all means, save some. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for how it speaks to each of us. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to, to, to be motivated by the Apostle Paul and his words and relating to athletics and comparing that to our Christian life. Thank you for that. And I pray that we will not just uh, play a little game in our mind right now and think, oh, okay, that's kind of that's nice. Uh, now, uh, what's this afternoon? But Lord, that you will make it a change, make it be a change in our lives, a true commitment to doing what we know followers of Jesus ought to do. And that's to fish for men and women, to, to help them come to faith in Jesus Christ. Some water, some plant, some reap. We know there's different roles that we play. I'm never going to have the privilege of of Richard coming to faith in you, the taxi driver from Russia. But Lord, I, I keep praying somebody will have that privilege, that it will happen. And when that happens, and if I see him in heaven, I'm going to rejoice because he's a crown that I had a part, a part in his life, of eternal life, never perishing. And I pray that for each of us here, Lord, that you will give us that type of thought and vision and desire to be a part of someone coming to faith in Christ and growing in Christ, not being stagnant, but to be a, a vibrant Christian, a disciple, of course, they too becoming fishers of men. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.